Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Tuesday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Somehow we have already made it to Q4 of 2023. That just blows my mind. And I am sorry to everyone in retail who just probably let out an audible groan because we know that (laughs) Q4 is a very, very long Super Bowl for you. Hopefully it doesn't get busy for another three or four weeks, but you know, we know that a lot of retailers will process more than half of their revenue in just the last two months of the year. So that keeps the fraud team very, very busy. But for everyone else, it's still, you know, we still have three more months to make this year as good as possible and to try not to lose momentum. I'm saying that probably just as much for myself as I am anyone else. So today we're going to do a solo episode. We're changing things up just a little bit. I had a really good guest lined up for this week. And when we uh, got started to try to record, they had massive technical difficulties, which happens to the best of us. And since they're out of town this week, we're just going to have to wait for them to be able to come back. Uh, It'll be very worth the wait. And I did have a really great friend of the pod step up and they're going to be coming on on Thursday to talk about some really good topics that I think uh, will be relevant to everyone around multi-factor authentication and some of the you know vulnerabilities lately, as well as strategies to try to make the best of it. And I know that that's something that a lot of companies are struggling with, with OTP bots and other things. So I think that'll be a really good conversation. And today, like I said, you get a solo episode from me. And I select these topics for solo episodes in different ways. Sometimes it's because they're requested. Other times it's a theme I'm kind of seeing based on conversations I'm having lately, like last week uh, with so many people just... (laughs) kind of gut checking with me and and looking for validation that it isn't just their company that feels like they're getting hit with so much more fraud lately. And this week, this topic was inspired by a quick conversation that I had with a longtime fraud fighter uh, for a large retailer. And it was on a Zoom call um, before everyone was logging in to the biweekly retailer call that I host. And I asked you know them how they're doing. And they shared a funny story about how because of a very random video on TikTok where the person who was on the video was, I think, singing? I don't know. I didn't look it up. But they were wearing an article of clothing from this retailer. And because of that, it caught wildfire. And I guess it's been a couple months now. And they cannot keep this product in stock. It used to be a product that they would sometimes give away. It's under $10 retail. But because it became a symbol of some culture and just a group of people that have similar beliefs and all of that, they can't keep it in the stores. It keeps selling out of the stores. So of course, once things sell out in the stores, where do people go? Online. Well, of course, they've had a huge uptick in orders of these items and they've had people you know, ordering them in bulk so they can resell them. And then they also have had a lot of fraud on them. They've actually had their chargebacks go up a fair amount because of this item, because it's so popular and is selling on third-party marketplaces 
is for three to four to five times the retail price that fraudsters want to get in on the action too. And that often happens when something goes viral, when there's something that happens in pop culture. And I have heard this from so many companies and so many stories, and I've just never really shared it because they're often specific. But then there was another example of that in the news this week. I am not afraid, ashamed to admit that I am a fan of pop culture and some reality shows. And I think it's really because it's all about human behavior, whether it's, you know, whether we're talking about fraud and the way people behave on a website and being able to determine their intentions just based off of their, you know, order activity and all of that. Or we're talking about, you know, the real housewives of somewhere. There's a lot of human behavior in there and I just enjoy it in different ways. Well, in pop culture, there were similar stories about, you know, some items that got really popular really fast that the retailer could not have predicted and can cause just a huge snowball effect in a lot of ways. And sometimes that snowball effect can lead to fraud. And so that's what I thought I'd talk about today. And if you're like, what are you talking about? I don't want to listen to pop culture, you know, podcasts or, you know, look at tabloids or whatever else you do, Chris. So last week, uh, one of the world's most famous musicians and pop stars, I'm sure you know exactly who I'm talking about, um, attended a U.S. football game and there are rumors that she's dating the team star player. So after there were lots of pictures of this pop star at the American football game, a couple things happened in commerce that is just fascinating to me. One, the shoes that she was wearing, they were a specific brand uh, that she was wearing to the game. They sold out in like less than I don't know, a day or two. And they became very popular and people were, you know, wanting to buy them on third party marketplaces for more and all of that. They just, you know, were a regular shoe on Saturday, but after Sunday, because a pop store star wore them and they weren't that expensive, they sold out. And then in the first 24 hours after all those pictures were released of her uh, watching her, you know, suspected boyfriend play football for his team, sales of his jersey and other items uh, and memorabilia in his name went up 400% in 24 hours. Those are things that you can't be predicted. And sometimes that behavior can look like fraud and it's not. And other times it can kind of blend in with resell and other popular traffic, which is often their goal, and lead to fraud and then chargebacks. So I felt like all of those things between my conversation with the retailer about this, you know, social media video that has made this very inexpensive item, just a huge pain in the side of the fraud team. And then also, you know, hearing about these tennis shoes that got sold out and then the jersey going 400%, you know, selling out four times more than he ever has before, uh, or than usual, I guess I should say. It's bananas, right? But all of you who are in retail or other things too. I mean, ticketing companies obviously have this a lot uh, where very popular events are announced, whether it's sporting events or concerts, things like that. And once they have the on sale, once they put the tickets on sale, there's a frenzy to get those tickets at the listing price because chances are they can be resold for several times over what was originally paid for them. And there's other things like that too. Like I think in a way crypto was like that two years ago, but that's different. I know it's a a currency, so it's a little different, but that's really what I'm talking about today is the things that are, I wouldn't say low volume, but have scarcity. And oftentimes it's scarcity very quickly. So it's unexpected. And your marketing team is just like doing, you know, jumping jacks and so excited and jumping up and down and so happy. And 
you know, you probably are too for a while. Then you're like, wait a second, <laughs> there is some weird activity here. It can also make, you know, depending on the type of fraud system that you use, it can make that very confused. It can make machine learning very confused because wait a second, now all of a sudden somebody's buying 30 of this really inexpensive item. You know, they're all new customers that you've never seen before. And they're, you know, have odd patterns of behavior, things like that. So there is, you know, this dark side or this fraud side of going viral. As I was thinking about it, I was trying to think of like how items go viral. And that's kind of hard to explain, right? Like in 2023, we live in such a weird time, at least compared to, you know, how a lot of us grew up. Because there were fads and there were trends, you know, when I was growing up or when you were growing up, you know, before the internet. I'm sure a few of you (laughs) grew up after the internet, but I'm just going to say from my own experience, we would find out what was popular from commercials on TV or, you know, watching a sitcom or something like that. But it wasn't where there's just constant news and information and, you know, different social media platforms have created these like micro environments where, there's so much fandom or there's so much interest. And so, you know, if you see your favorite pop star wear a t- pair of tennis shoes that you can probably afford, boom, you're going out and getting them. Um, you know, we live in a world where there were actual shortages of different food items uh, during the pandemic. And part of that was because of supply chain, but others were because of social media crazes. Like feta cheese was something that people could not get for the longest time because of a pasta recipe that was posted on social media that called for a whole like brick of feta cheese. I actually watched that video because as I was doing this research, it actually looked quite good. (laughs) But you know, whether it's makeup or skincare or clothing or kitchen gadgets, like, you know, things will just go viral really quickly. And there's no way to expect it. And other times, you know, you can, right? So sometimes it's because, you know, a company paid an influencer to do, you know, a sponsored content. But a lot of times it's because, you know, a sports star or a celebrity is, you know, wearing the item or using the item just in their everyday life. You know, maybe it's a new item or service and there's a marketing campaign. I know this has been mentioned on a previous episode before, but fraudsters are often the first users of a new website or new type of service. So they're often, you know, beta testers in a way. So obviously, if there's a new service or, you know, marketing campaign, there's going to be some fraud mixed in there. I, I mean, hearing from somebody who worked for, you know, the first handbag and accessory rental company online, and when it was featured in a major motion picture, just a huge movie, um, Sex in the City back in 2008, their sales skyrocketed. I mean, their rental sales skyrocketed, but so did the fraud. And that was, you know, what justified hiring me. So, um, you know, and I definitely learned a lot because it was such a challenging business model. But what I mean by that is just like, you know, when good users learn about a new service and they want to try it, fraudsters instantly think of how they can try to, you know, get it to their advantage as well. I mean, that wasn't too hard because the company I worked for actually had the word steal in the title, but that's a whole other story. (laughs) But they're often, you know, the first users. And so that can often bring fraud. But then, you know, there's also lots of reviews or if there's rumors or conspiracy theories about items or sometimes there are boycotts on certain items. So then, you know, for either political reasons or cultural reasons, and then, you know, people who don't believe in the boycott will go and buy the items. It's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous, but it's fascinating as well. Obviously, as we have more and more different kinds of platforms and get to see different types of items and get to see how they're used and things like that, that's going to cause, you know, the virality. So lots of things there. 
And, you know, sometimes the group that makes all these purchases is in a specific microcosm or micro, you know, environment, like I said, right? They're a certain generation or they uh, live in a certain region or they have, you know, specific political beliefs or different causes, things like that. So that can impact the traffic as well. And those things can impact, you know, what you're seeing, whether it's, you know, fraud or not fraud or anything else, but it could maybe look more suspicious than others or anything like that. And then here's the other piece that is so important. We wouldn't have all these things going viral and people wanting to buy multiples of things and reselling items so much if there wasn't such a strong resale economy online. Secondary markets have been, you know, on the internet for a long time. I mean, I just actually looked up when Laura Mather started at eBay. If you didn't listen to that episode earlier this year with Laura Mather, I highly recommend it. It was so fascinating. She actually started the trust and safety slash fraud department of eBay. And she started there in 2003. So I'm assuming that, you know, eBay started around 2002, something like that. So over 20 years, but especially in the last five years, Secondary markets have just exploded. I mean, in the last 15, 10, 15 years, right, secondary markets were were growing in different markets. Like, I mean, for instance, ticketing. I've had three or four former employees that used to work at StubHub and that have talked about that. Sean Kelly is from SeatGeek. They also had a secondary market. So ticketing, you know, obviously has had that. And ever since having secondary markets, there was much larger reason to buy extra items or, you know, buy tickets that you weren't planning on using because you would be willing to bet that that concert's going to be popular and someone's going to be willing to pay more than what you paid for it. But now we have that for, you know, not just all items, but then we have specialty markets, right? We have markets that are focused on designer goods. We have secondary marketplaces that are focused on sneakers or collectibles or, you know, all kinds of things, household items, all kinds of things. And it's crazy, but I found, I'm sure there's lots of statistics, but I found one that said that um, resells on uh, e-commerce will make up 75% of total resale volume this year, and it'll reach $90 billion this year, which I mean, I don't know, I always give those forecasted dollars like a grain of salt, but still I think that it's pretty significant, right? That 75% of the things people will resell will be online. They won't be in consignment stores locally. And it makes sense, right? You have a bigger audience, you can probably make more money. It's been made very easy to mail your items in and all of that. So you couldn't have, you know, all these big sales of items, you know, something goes viral, then everyone buys it. Well, they're not just buying it for themselves. They're hoping and planning that these items are going to sell out at the core retailer and then sell them at resale. There's also hype selling, right? There are some companies that have made it part of their business model to have hype sales. When Jenna Posner came on from Snipes a few months ago, she talked about that and how that was so important to them. But she also talked about some of the downsides. Oftentimes when there's a resale value of items at MSRP, you're gonna have resellers targeting them. And a lot of resellers are using purchasing bots or what we you know, used to call sneaker bots. And as you know, I talked about with Nate Carl a few weeks ago, a lot of those bots have learned how to get around some of the biggest names in bot detection uh, by you know blocking JavaScript and all of that. And so it's been really a challenge for retailers. I've worked with several different retailers, especially in luxury goods, as well as name brand, uh, different name brand items, right? Companies that sell their own brand that have very large reseller problems. And while the bulk of resellers 
are not using stolen credit cards, those aren't going to become chargebacks, the bulk of them, because frankly, they want to keep coming back. They've made it either a side hustle or they've made it a business or there's a company behind it that is buying items from one website and then maybe waiting a little while or not waiting a little while, depending on the item and how desired it is and how rare it was, you know, putting it up on a secondary market. And unfortunately, while there's not, it's not fraud, the fraud team usually ends up having to own that because who else is going to own it, right? And that can cause so many issues internally because oftentimes, you know, some parts of the company are happy with you know the sales, right? Like, well, if we're getting a lot of sales, why do we care if somebody's buying 20 of them? But then other times it's like, well, because we don't get the relationship with the end customer. And because, you know, what if that customer has a problem or there's a defect in the order? Or what if we want to send them a marketing email for next time? Or, you know, all these other things. So the reselling, especially for companies that have their own brand of items, that's a decision that each company has to make in different ways. And a lot of times those are year round. It's not because of something that went viral. It's oftentimes it's because either there's a low uh, volume of something or it's about geographies and different economies. You know, because we are really in an international world, there are items that you can buy in the US that you could easily sell for 10 times the price in another country. I mean, I remember hearing stories from a friend of mine in college who was uh, from, I think, U Ukraine, and but near Russia. And um, she would go back home during summer and she would just fill up a suitcase with nothing but jeans and bring them back home. And she could pay for like a quarter of her tuition just by selling designer jeans that she bought for maybe $50 here and could sell over there for $500 or $600 or the equivalent of that. Well, now that there's the internet and, you know, cross-border shipping and payments and all that, well, now it's made it so much easier. So there's a lot of times where they're either items that you can only get in one country that if you sell it in another country on a marketplace there, you can get quite a bit for it. Or there are specific brands where, you know, in North America, they're one price, but in APAC, they're much higher or vice versa. And so there's a lot of cross-border and international uh, reselling happening. And that can be a challenge, but that's not totally what I'm talking about today, but just, you know, mentioning reselling because I don't think it's really something I've mentioned very often. And I know it's a problem that a lot of large companies that, again, have their own brand are experiencing. And I wouldn't say that retailers that sell other companies' brands don't have resale problems. It's just impossible for them to know which ones are being sold by their company. So, you know, if company A sells Acme items and they see Acme items on a secondary market, I mean, they can't know that it came just from them because other stores sell them too. But also because other stores sell them, because it's more of a wholesale item, there often isn't that much scarcity as when items come from just one company. Thank you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description. So like I said, there's kind of you know, two different types of reselling, right? So there's the reselling at over the value, like I was just talking about, you know, to sell over MSRP, or you're selling things internationally, different things like that. But then there's also 
the reselling defense goods, which we are very familiar with. And that's the fraud side, right? And oftentimes, if it's not something that is insanely popular and can, you know, the market won't bear, no one will pay more than MSRP, then oftentimes items that are stolen online are actually sold for well below MSRP, if not below cost. So sometimes that's how you can tell the difference. But if resellers can make, you know, two or three times what they pay for an item, then fraudsters want to do that too. Fraudsters are always looking for high profit margin. And popular items to sell. And yeah, I mean, (laughs) everything's high profit margin when it's not your money, but they are technically on a budget on other people's cards. So they always want the most, you know, bang for someone else's buck, so to speak. So if it's a trend that is lasting a while, or if it's a trend that has, you know, multiples of, you know, 3x, 2x, whatever, they might you know, go for it. We've seen that with uh, gaming consoles a couple years ago when there were brand new editions brought out and there were bots and resellers that were buying them legitimately to resell. And that is, you know, the con- up to the consoles company if they want to allow that or try to restrict it. It is hard to restrict, but you know, you can. Um, it's like I said, that's totally a business decision around your brand and other things that involve so many other departments than just fraud. And honestly, most fraud systems are not created for identifying reselling. So you have to get really creative. There are a couple though out there that uh, do have additional products for abuse that are fairly good. There's one or two that you know I don't think work as well. I mean, you'll want to know, you know what specific abuse they help with, but there are at least two I know of that, you know, can really help restrict reselling and just not even allow the sale to go through rather than having to cancel it and explain and, you know, have them call and say, but my card is authorized and just all of that nonsense. But at the same time, mixed in with those legitimate resellers, as well as those kids that were, you know, trying to figure out and there were Reddit threads all over the place of, you know, when inventory was restocked online on certain websites and all of that to try to get a console. Well, fraudsters were trying to get in there too. I mean, it's a pretty good deal. You can use someone else's card to buy a $300 gaming console, and then you can sell it on a secondary market for, you know, $1,500 or $2,000. And, you know, fraudsters like a good deal, just like anyone else. It's the same reason why they use, they love promo codes and other things like that. So diving a little bit more into this, you know, what happens when there's just an unexpected thing. And I think really what it comes down to is, you know, we know this already, but anyone that's on the fraud department, you deal with so many other things other than payment fraud or you know, different types of abuse or different types of fraud. You kind of deal with a lot of things. And I kind of say that I think that we are in the cause and effect business where, you know, if we're somebody from another department will come and say, oh my gosh, this is happening, but we don't know why. It's up to us to figure out, okay, well, what was the cause of that effect? Or other times when we hear the business say, we're going to roll out this new business model and da, da 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 We already know we're thinking six steps ahead and we already know exactly the problem that's going to be with that. Uh, excuse me, people are going to exploit that in this way and that way and that way. I feel like as a consultant, I do a lot of cause and effect consulting. I'm like, hey, you know, I understand that this is a problem, but if we were to do this, this and this, that wouldn't be a problem anymore. Or, well, you're having this problem because of this type of, you know, system that you're using or whatever it is. And sometimes 
it causes us to be kind of go into economics as far as like, well, there's more demand over here and there's, you know, less items. And so that's going to cause this ripple effect. And I think one of the reasons why I wanted to create this episode was because, you know, for anyone who hasn't been through this before, who hasn't worked for a company where all of a sudden you wake up in the morning and somebody famous tweeted about an item of yours and now it's selling out and you don't, you have no idea what to tell the business, right? I think it's just important to know, well, what can happen? Well, often what happens is if an item goes viral or, you know, I'm just saying an item, but it can be, you know, anything, right? The items will start to sell out in stores if there are stores for that company and then online, you know, so first, you know, it'll be the, the main retailer where they do the shopping, but then it'll be, you know, any other resellers, like retailers that resell their items. So wholesale retailers who may sell those items. And then it'll just keep spider webbing, right? So once sold out, you know, in many places, those secondary marketplaces will become very popular. And not only in the country where it was originally popular, but internationally too. And like I said, often internationally, there can be a whole other, you know, multiplier there. It's almost like Tickle Me Elmo, right? Like (laughs) for those people that are my age or, you know, I don't know, grew up in the 90s in some part of your life. You might remember Tickle Me Elmo and how that was like the toy of, I don't remember, but 90 something. I was in high school, so I didn't, it wasn't something I wanted. I mean, I do though remember when the Cabbage Patch dolls were sold out and a friend of a family member had to get one. I don't know. There was my grand, my grandparents worked very hard to get me a Cabbage Patch doll in the 80s and I appreciate it because it was sold out as well. But, you know, think of it like Tickle Me Elmo, right? Where like it just sold out really fast and it just kind of spread where people go to the first stores and the second stores and then you're like, okay, I'll go in the secondary market. Well, something that I learned today just by doing a little bit of research is that there are several tools and websites that you can use or that you can subscribe to that will tell you in real time, like they'll track, I don't know, one of them says that they track like 50 million items and they'll tell you at any one time, like how cheap you can get it for retail and then how much you can resell it for it on which secondary market in what countries. So I can only imagine if I were a fraudster, I would be looking at that all the time because, well, might as well, right? Might as well double or triple the money that you didn't spend. And that's also speed, right? They're essentially fencing items and the faster that they can get rid of those items, the faster they can replenish. And, you know, if they throw triangulation in there, then they're just sending it directly to the person who orders it from the company that sold it. You know, maybe this fraudster has figured out, okay, this resell, re- this retailer restocks their website inventory at this time. I'm going to set a bot at this time and order as many as I can. So that's kind of the timeline of how that works. And this isn't exactly fraud, but kind of with money laundering. So I've also heard reports from um, a couple of secondary marketplaces. I mean, obviously, Obviously, secondary marketplaces can be used uh, for money laundering in a few different ways, especially if I set up a shop to sell items in quotation marks and then a friend of mine buys those items. Well, depending on the marketplace, you're just sending the items to and from each other and not sending it to the marketplace first to verify the item. So in that case, we could just be laundering money, right? And saying, okay, I'm going to put up this fake item for $500. My friend's going to sell it to me or buy it to me for $500. And now we have a receipt saying, oh, I just sold something on the secondary market. Well, that same thing can happen, you know, when you're stealing items, right? So, you know, you can, there's been reports of kind of reselling for money laundering purposes. So basically saying, you know, to explain small dollar items. So you're paying small dollars, but then you're getting large dollars in. So that's just another type of fraud that can be like related to this. 
So I'm sure that you guys have all thought of various items that you've seen go viral all of a sudden. And maybe now, like when next time that happens, you'll think about the retailer a little bit. I always do whenever I see certain things, you know, like the shoe company that went, that got really popular this last week with the pop star. I have known people that have worked there over the years. I'm not a hundred percent sure if I know who works there now, but I was like, oh man, I feel bad for them. Cause I, I know exactly what systems they use. I know exactly what they do, you know, and, and all that. So I'm like, oh gosh, it's gotta be hard for them to, you know, catch this or whatever it is. Right. And the truth of the matter is, and I kind of hinted at this, but when items get really popular like that, a lot of times the people who are purchasing them haven't ever purchased from that website before. So they might look suspicious and you don't want to cancel the wrong orders, but you also don't want to let through the good orders. It's, you know, story of everyone's life. It's always that balance. So wrapping up, I thought I'd give a few tips just, you know, to kind of prevent the fraud aspect of it, right? If you're shopping on a third party marketplace and the ways that you can identify fraudulent postings, and this isn't always true, but this often is the case for triangulation as well as anything. And this is, you know, often when they know that they're selling items that are popular, whether it's popular for the holiday season or it's popular because of something that just happened uh, that was kind of a, you know, freak accident, like the things I've mentioned and all of a sudden they're popular without any warning or a heads up. So oftentimes the items will be listed on secondary marketplaces as new in box with free shipping. Um, that's often a sign of triangulation because, you know, if they're paying full price for an item um, or, you know, if it's not, if the seller isn't the company that sells the item, then why is someone selling it new in box with free shipping? That just doesn't usually happen. But I mean, it could be, it's just, these are some signs. Uh, you could also look at the seller's history and see, you know, if they're brand new or sometimes they have a lot of history, but they're selling a lot of different categories of items. They're not specializing in something. Most people who have, you know, uh, that do this for a living that, you know, buy items and then resell them online, they're going to specialize in electronics or cell phones or sneakers or luxury brands or something like that. And then, you know, for the fraud side, if it's not something that has sold out, but it's something that's expensive and is popular. So especially for the holidays, this happens a lot, like whether it's the the coffee maker or the vacuum cleaner of the year or whatever it is, the stores may not be sold out of them, but they might be expensive. And so fraudsters will get them, you know, on stolen payment methods and other ways. And then they'll sell them on secondary marketplaces for much lower than retail because it wasn't their money to begin with. So it's all profit. So that's just something to be, you know, aware of whether you're looking for, you know, resellers so that you don't want to you know, buy from them. Or if you know, you're curious if your items are being sold in the you know secondary markets, there's just a couple of signs. It's not always the case, but those are usually, you know, some pretty good indicators. So I've actually had a few people ask recently how they can kind of keep up on what people are saying about their company, because sometimes they will see a giant spike in something and they're like, why did that happen? That's weird. Like that actually set off our fraud system because it's an anomaly. And then later on, someone in marketing will say, oh, somebody, you know, posted a tweet about it or something. Well, there's a couple of different things. I think the first most important thing to do is build a relationship with marketing and PR. I feel like I say this almost every episode and I know it's not easy. I know that they're, you know, kind of your frenemies, but if you proactively explain, you know, why it's important for your team to know about any sudden spikes in popularity, for instance, you know, I'd hate for our team to accidentally cancel items because of suspicious behavior. You know, if something goes viral and we're like, oh my gosh, this looks fraudulent. 
but we'd also hate to have fraud on there. So it'd be helpful to know, you know, when and if something like this happens, can you give my team a heads up? Another thing is there are, you know, some uh, third party companies that offer uh, social media surveillance. They will, you know, send out a report of everything that's you know posted about your company on social media, good, bad, ugly. Sometimes there are some fraudulent things in there, but not many. It's not, they're not on any of the encrypted apps. It's more the, you know, popular social media, but it can help you know a little bit about the trends. Um, oftentimes your marketing and PR department might already have a service like that. So it's possible that you can ask for access to that information. And then tracking your sales by SKU number, right? Like if you have more than one item and being able to see, oh, there was a weird spike in this item. Why is that? Oh, well, you know, it's outdoor gear and it or it's rain gear and it just rained in the East Coast really hard. Well, that probably explains why so many people are buying that jacket or, you know, or somebody, you know, went on social media and did something silly and now everybody wants it. You, you know, it's hard to know, but if you're tracking by SKU, you can at least be aware of those things. And then if this ever happens to your company and, you know, one of your products are suddenly featured in a popular TikTok video or a famous celebrity wears a specific item you carry, anything like that, here are a couple of my tips. So one, find out as soon as possible. That is why I suggested to become friends with marketing and PR, at least for that. Um, rely on your fraud tools to assess the riskiness, but also do an analysis of, you know, several hundreds of purchases to understand order behavior. If you don't really know what I'm talking about, I highly recommend going back and listening to the episode with Sean Kelly, that, uh, who was formerly at Seek. Uh, when he talked about how he and his team were able to eliminate manual review. And they did it by looking at groups of orders and being able to look at that order behavior from a higher level. And if you do that, this is a really good way to say, okay, are these behaviors or things that our system is going to pick up and decline? You know, whether it's lots of new accounts or whatever it is, maybe it's a lot of Gen Zers who all use, you know, privacy ad blockers, things like that. You know, you just hard to know, but being able to make sure that, you know, if your system is rule-based, that you're not accidentally, uh, you don't accidentally have a rule that's hitting it or something like that. In the case of the retailer that I started out talking about, that item was so low dollar that at first it never really hit their fraud systems until they started getting chargebacks and realizing, oh, this is now so popular and able to resell in other countries for so much more that now people are buying it on stolen cards. So now we have to you know, make sure that our system is catching those. So the situation is going to be different, but it does change your customer behavior. So you will want to make sure that you know, your system is aligned with that and that it's not messing it up in one way or another. It's not canceling good orders and it's not letting through risky orders because risky changes, right? The risk profile changes when user behavior changes in such a big way. Um, the order behavior will tell you if it's, you know, most likely good orders from new customers or people buying it in bulk or fraud. And it's important to, you know, adjust your rules for your system accordingly. And that's really the best that you can do. So this was kind of a hard episode for me because I really wanted to name a lot more companies and it's hard sometimes for me on the fly to try to anonymize companies. So I hope it was, um, it wasn't hard to follow. I guess I didn't give as much thought uh, to how I was going to not say some companies' names with a, <laughs> but still give context. And obviously I said a couple because, you know, it's public information, but I do think though that this happens more often than we think it does. And not everybody knows how to handle it or deal with it. And, you know, you wouldn't, right? Until most of fraud prevention and all that we do in this space is on the job training. But because resellers are so popular as well as 
you know, just items going viral all the time. And oftentimes there are things that, you know, one group of people or several groups of people wouldn't know about, but one group does. And so it's not all across pop culture. So it's hard to track, but it does, you know, because it changes your customer behavior because it impacts a lot of areas of the business. It can ultimately impact your, you know, your department, whether that's for resellers who are buying items in bulk and you need to enforce policies or try to track down leadership to make policies or stick to a policy, or if that's, you know, you're dealing with actually straight up fraud that's trying to take advantage of the situation as well. All right, guys, that is it for me today. Thank you again for listening. I could never have done over, you know, 225 episodes without knowing that so many of you listen and appreciate it and send the sweetest notes about it. And I just appreciate you all so much. And I will look forward to speaking with you again on Thursday. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.